way back when, uh, I had uh, pretty much figured out what it was to be in ministry, to be a pastor. I was getting ready to become a youth pastor. And I, of course, everyone knows what a youth pastor does, right? You take kids to Six Flags and you play floor hockey and you eat a lot of pizza and you have some all-nighters and maybe once in a while you have a Bible study. And yeah, that's it's, you see enough. Everybody can do this. I was looking forward to this. It's going to be one big vacation, I thought. Uh, then when I was candidating on the, the weekend that I was candidating at my, my first church, uh, I was hanging out doing junior high stuff in the afternoon on Saturday, and then Saturday evening I would do senior high. And Diane, she's one of the senior hires, but she couldn't come Saturday evening. She had something going on, a date or whatever. But she was there with me in the afternoon with the junior hires, and so she, she became my assistant. And so we worked together, met her, her youngest brother uh, during that junior high time. Then the evening senior hires were there, and I met her, her other brother. Next morning, getting ready to go into church, and, and right out by the door, there's a man waiting. You, know, you can tell he's, he's looking for somebody, and so I go up and introduce, and it's Diane's dad. And so he's waiting. Yeah, they're on their way to church, and they're always late. And, well, okay, good. Well, we'll see in a little bit. And so I went in the service. About halfway through the message, they get a pastor gets a message, and he reads it, and it says there's been an accident. So as soon as the service is over, uh, the senior pastor and myself, we grab the guys, um, the two brothers, and we head off to the hospital. We're met by the coroner. Um, both Lois, that's the mom, and Diane were killed in the car accident. The Katie was thrown out. Um, I'm sitting down with the two boys whose life just, and I, I'm thinking, this is what ministry's about. And that first couple of years, I'm telling you, was very tough. I was a uh, 23-year-old kid. I'm, I'm called into a home that you would not, you would think is a very good home. I mean, the dad was a very successful businessman, but I was refereeing multiple times between himself and his daughter. I was chasing after kids who were, going, who were running away. I was dealing with kids who were messed up with the law and drugs. I, you wouldn't believe the amount of kids coming in my office who were thinking about killing themselves. It was, it was, I remember sitting with a couple of girls from my youth group going over to their home's moral support while they told their parents that they were now expecting a baby and listening to the her- parents' hearts just break. And it, the emotional stuff was just crazy. And on top of that, I had a youth group that I had to do on a weekly basis. And I took it very seriously because we had some visitor kids coming. This was going to be their only shot maybe at seeing and understanding Jesus. We had our kids coming in who were beat up spiritually by the world all, all week. And so they needed a haven. On, on top of that, whenever I got to speak in youth group or, or teach Sunday school or preach, I, mean, I took the, the study of God's word very seriously. We did a lot of retreats, a lot of kids dedicating their life to Christ. And so we did them well, big events, done well. All that to say, at the end of two years of that, I was shot. I mean, I remember, if you were to ask me, give me a snapshot of your first few years of ministry, this, this would be it. I was in my office, and the senior guy just came in my office, and he chewed me up one side and down the other for something. I would probably deserved it. I don't know. Something I was supposed to do and didn't do, or he wanted me to do something else. I just remember when, when he left, uh, thinking, there's nothing else for me to give. I was going 24-7 at the church, 
financially, I was broke as who can be because I took all the money that I had and I was helping kids get to retreats and buying stuff for the youth group. They didn't give me much of a budget. I hadn't gone to Dave Ramsey yet, so I didn't understand this. My creditors were not happy with the way I was doing it, but that's the way I did it. Uh, emotionally, I was just with all of these major things going on, I was wore out spiritually. You know what? I was shot because either I was rationalizing that I didn't really have to go to be with the Lord or it had to be very brief because I had to feed his flock. Or I would go to be with him and I was just falling asleep because I was shot ex- uh, physically. I was so distracted with everything else that was going on emotionally. And I gave him very little. And, and I remember after he left, the phone started ringing. Someone else wanted another piece of me and I was gonna ready to throw that thing through the wall. But I, I, I waited for it to be done. Then I got up and I locked my door. I came back, sat down in my, my chair and I, I, I said this out loud. I said, I hate the pastorate. Now, this is like sacrilegious for me. I mean, this is all I ever wanted to do. It's what I knew I was supposed to do. But I hated it. I was, I was burned out huge. I began to understand a lesson that day that, that Jesus wants us to serve. But we have to serve from the overflow of a relationship with him. Service that honors Christ is service that comes out of the overflow of a relationship with him. If you're claiming to be a follower of Christ, you know what? You, there's some amazing stuff that, that, that's going on in you. Because as soon as you came to know Christ, he gave you some spiritual giftings. And I, I believe he tied those up with natural giftings that he had given you from birth. And he took his palette and he painted a very special color and he painted you. You have a very unique set of gifts. And when you came to know Christ, according to to Scripture, you were created for good works. According to to Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, the giftings that he has given you, you've got them whether you think you do or not. The giftings he's given to you are to be used in his church. And and, and the gifting, it's an amazing job. It really is when you think about it, to think that somebody... Can, can come to understand that they have a real creator, a personal God, and they can give their life to them. To see this person be spiritually reborn, you can't control that. To see them grow and excited and to know you had a little bit to do with it. That's amazing. That's it. Now, it's exhausting sometimes. Sometimes it's filled with, with, with hurt and tears and misunderstanding and it's messy. But when you serve out of the overflow... You've got the strength to deal with it. It still ends up being a joyful thing. Service is one of the Lord's, I believe, one of his primary tools to disciple us. And so we we need to serve. However, when we serve, but not out of the overflow, kind of works opposite. I mean, serving in the kingdom is not like the Peace Corps. It's a little bit different. There is a spiritual warfare going on. And so you need to be with him in order to get the strength to do what he's called you to do. You need to be with him to get the discernment, to get the wisdom, to to get the the words that you need. And so if you try to do the work without being with him, lots of bad things can happen. It can be very destructive to you. I I was learning that, that if you serve but not out of the overflow, it will kill you. The, the external work of God can kill the internal work of God. Well, Scripture gives us a probably the number one poster child for this. It's Martha of Mary and Martha fame. And when you think about Martha, her, her name has become synonymous with words like, you know, or terms like no priorities, misplaced values. Uh, that's, 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 that's Martha. But what we want to do before we, 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 we judge her, like the uh, uh, 
Church history has, has labeled this gal in a, in a major way as a detriment to Christianity. Before we judge her, let's, let's, we're going to look at her story today. And as we look into the, the, the mirror of God's word, maybe we'll see our own face. And I hope and trust and pray that we will learn this lesson that, that I wish so much someone would have shared with me way back when. That serving must come out of the overflow. So if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me? To Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We put stuff up on the screen. We don't have a whole lot on the screen today. My bad. But I just want to encourage you not to be dependent on this. Now, if you're visiting, yes, the screen is for you. But if you're not visiting, get a Bible. Screen's not for you. All right. Here we go. Luke chapter chapter 10. Let's, let's start in verse 38. Let me read the passage for us and then we'll... Make some comments. It's, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Clearly here, Martha's on the rebuking end of Jesus. But let's take a second again to to look at at these two gals. I would encourage you, on your your, uh, bulletin that you got, there's a page for notes. Kind of make two columns, a Mary column and a Martha column. And as we go through some passages, try to profile these gals. Try to figure out what's inside, what makes them work, how God has wired them, and see if maybe you might not fit one into one of these two categories, because odds are high, you fit into one of them. First thing that we notice about Martha, okay, Martha loved the Lord. Now, she's getting yelled at here, but she loved the Lord. And this is where we go with this. This text uh, is, is not in isolation. Luke is very deliberate for how he arranged his, the word. And I believe that the literary unit really starts back in verse 25. And this is what's going on. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, you know what follows is the Good Good Samaritan story. You've got a guy going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He gets mugged along the way. He gets beat up. He's left on the side of the road dead, just about half dead. And a priest comes by, one of Jerusalem's finest. And he sees this guy laying there, and for whatever reason, he, he says he, he's not going to hang out. He's not going to help this guy. Maybe, you know, the guy's a dead person. He's going to be contaminated. He, he, can't, he can't mess with him. He goes by. Then a Levite comes, another one of Jerusalem's key spiritual leaders. And he sees this guy, and I don't know what he's thinking. Maybe he's thinking it's a trap. And the, the, the real robbers are still hanging out, and he's going to go over by there, and they're going to pounce at him, and so he, he hurries on by. And then a Samaritan comes, and he takes the guy, and he, he, he takes care of his wounds, and he puts him on his donkey. He spends the, the night with this guy. He's nursing this guy back to health, and then he empties his pockets to make sure the guy's okay. And, and the, the, the story, what it says, is basically this. Your neighbor is someone who you see is in need. And if you act in a neighborly way, you love your neighbor, then you see the need, and you take initiative. 
Okay, that's the story. And then what happens right after that? The Mary and Martha thing. Martha sees the need. You've got Jesus and his and his apostles. They just came out of a heavy crusade. They're getting ready to go into a very heavy situation. What could be more important than giving the Son of God nourishment? Martha recognizes this need. And she rolls up her sleeves and she sacrifices to meet this need. She, she, she knows, John fourteen twenty one, where Jesus said that whoever hears my word and obeys it, he's the one who loves me. Martha does not love necessarily with words. She loves with actions. But she does. She loves the Lord. Also, we, we know about Martha is that Martha is a, a woman of theological depth. She's not a, a shallow person. John 11 and let me, let me let you know, this Mary and Martha deal, they always hang together in Scripture. You got them in three places, Luke 10, John 11, John 12, okay? John 11. Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus, you know this, right? And Lazarus was getting ready to die here in, in uh, beginning of John 11. So Martha calls up Jesus and says, Jesus, get over here in a hurry because it's pretty serious and Lazarus might die, but you can heal him because I know who you are. And so Jesus intentionally waits. So Lazarus dies. Jesus shows up four days late for the funeral. And Martha's got some words for him, of course, when he finally gets there. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Notice how her understanding of Jesus. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She understands her eschatology. And you know, this is kind of like, you know, you'll see, her, you'll see him again. Yeah, yeah, I know. At the end of the time and all those things, when we all are raised, I'll see him again. But then Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And look at Martha's pronouncement. Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now, that's an incredible pronouncement. When, let me give you a dot. You can connect them. Matthew 16, Jesus is hanging with his apostles. He says, hey, who do people say I am? And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, and some think maybe you're Elijah, and you're a prophet maybe. And he says, okay, fine, who do you think I am? And Peter pipes up. And what does Peter say? You are the Christ, the Son of God. And then what does Jesus say? He says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. In other words, Peter, you didn't get this out of your own ingenuity. You didn't pick this up because of listening to the grapevine. You are somehow connected to God the Father. He opened your eyes. You're a very blessed person, Peter. Martha comes up with the exact same pronouncement. We could say Martha understood the the, the deity of Jesus, the identity of Jesus, like few people. Martha was a very astute person theologically. Martha was also a, a, a leader. We see in Luke 10, she owned the house. It was her house. A little bit later on, Jesus is, is Mary comes and Mary, you're going to find out in a minute, she's an emotional basket case. She's crying. And so Jesus starts crying and everyone's crying. And so at the tomb, Jesus says, well, move the stone. And Martha probably caught up in, in grief, although Martha's not said that she's crying here, but she's a very practical woman. She steps forward and says, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. I know you want to see him again. And I know we're all sad and all. But bottom line is, he's been dead four days. And we roll that stone, and it's going to stink like the high heavens. Listen, we probably ought not to be doing that, Jesus. And, and Jesus insists that she does this. So, all right, somehow it seems it's inferred that Martha's got the authority 
to, to require that the stone be moved. Martha is a leader. It wasn't something she maybe desired to be or not. She was wired to be a leader. She was a type A task driven person. She had she would easily take on responsibility. Now her sister, on the other hand, Mary. Right? Let's look at Mary for just a second. In verse twenty eight of, of uh, John eleven. After she, this Martha said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. We'll go skip over to uh, verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. By the way, side note, uh, there are several Marys in Scripture, New Testament. You've got Mary, the mother of Jesus. This isn't it, right? Mary Magdalene. This isn't Mary Magdalene. Mary, the wife of Clopas, this isn't her. Mary, the mother of James, no. This is Mary of Bethany. She only appears three times. And every single time she appears, she's associated with Martha, but also every single time she appears, she's at Jesus' feet. Very, very, very important. So when Mary reached the place where Jesus was in Psalms, she fell at his feet. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping... Mary was a very emotional person. She was caught up in, in the emotion. Mary, I think we would say, is a relational person. Chapter 12 gives us a little more insight on Mary. John says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Of course, Martha served. That's what she does, right? Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. We're going to find out later this perfume was worth a year's wages. I don't know, how much she make in a year? That's how much this bottle of perfume was. This is a costly bottle of perfume. So it's probably part of Mary's diary. In other words, you plan on getting married one day, you're going to need this, Mary. But what does she do? She's kind of a spontaneous person. She's caught up in the moment. Act now, think later. So what does she do? Well, she breaks it. She pours it out on Jesus' feet. And wipes his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary was a very um, touchy-feely person. She's a very reflective person. She was a relational person. Meanwhile, Martha was a task-driven person. Mary probably journaled. That'd be my guess. She had lots of, lots of bad poetry about life and Jesus. It was all kind of, you know, just she was one of those kind of, of, of touchy-feely people. Make these kind of people over here sick. And this Martha, very much a task-driven person. Uh, so much so that we found in Luke 10, what she did is, is Martha saw Jesus and these guys coming over, or come, coming, walking through town. They were hungry, and she decides to take on the task of feeding these guys dinner for 13 men. Now, let me say, let's say tomorrow morning, you get a knock on your door, ladies, or maybe you're supposed to be at work, but for some reason you're ditching your home tomorrow morning. You get, someone rings your doorbell, you, go, you open the door at 9.30 in the morning, you've got four Secret Service guys. Okay? They've got the suits, they've got the black ties, they've got the, the, the dark glasses and the thing on the, on the ear. And, and they're all there, they're looking for their badges, and you can see their weapons as they open their coats. And they flip their shields, and they said, listen, President Obama wants to hang with the little people, so he's coming to your house tonight. He's going to have dinner at your place tonight, and he's bringing Vice President Biden, and he's bringing Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, and he's going to bring Chief Justice Roberts. And just to show that he's, he's a fair guy, he's bringing the Speaker of the House, John Bomber, as well. And, and on top of that, you know, there are aides and that kind of stuff. You can figure about 15 people, and they'll be here at 6.30. On to, oh, by the way, Anderson Cooper will be coming with them with his TV crew. So we'll see you then. And they leave. 
And at first you're thinking, president's coming to my house. Wait till I make a phone call. And, talk. and then you start thinking, oh, no, Anderson Cooper's bringing that, 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 that camera. And all of national TV is going to see my floor. And they're going to see the corners of my floor. And they're going to see those stools, you know, the stools underneath your, your thing. And they've got that dog hair on the, they're going to see that. And maybe he's going to take his camera into my bathroom. Well, please, God, don't let him do that. And what if the president needs to use my bathroom? And then you start thinking what you're going to serve him. Because this is not a Papa John's night. Because all the national television will see what you are serving the president. So you're thinking, oh, man. Oh, this is, you're, and you're starting to, you're feeling, freaking out a little bit. Martha knows that the Son of God, the creator of the universe, is coming to her house for dinner. And the guys with him are the men who will rule in his kingdom. And so you can imagine where she's at. I mean, this is going to have to be right. This is going to have to be good. And so Martha knows how this works. She knows her culture. She's very in tune with her culture. When you invite somebody over, you don't say, hey, there's the fridge. Help yourself out. Make yourself an home. This is a shame-based culture. Your hospitality is what it's all about. And so when you invite someone over, you become their slave. And you do everything you can just to make sure they are honored. And so, so Martha is, is in, the, in the kitchen where she's supposed to be. And it's dinner for Jesus, man. It's going to be big. She's got this thing. She's putting it all together. She's got the potatoes and the green beans and the tea. And she's pulling, plucking the chickens or skinning the lamb or whatever she's doing. But it's happening. Now, now you can imagine if you're doing Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, it takes some time, doesn't it? When you have a whole retinue of folk in there, it takes some time. And you've got a microwave and you've got running water and you've got, you got, all, you got your Cuisinart and all those kind of things. Well, she doesn't have any of that stuff. But don't fear, she's got Mary. Or so she thinks. And Mary's supposed to come in there and help her out. That's, she's, Mary's the kid's sister. Of course, Mary's supposed to be her slave and she's Jesus' slave. That's the way it's supposed to work. So she's in there working, but Mary's not here. And so she's getting everything together, but Mary's still not here. Where in the world's Mary? And she hears them all laughing, all the men laughing in the living room. Oh, oh, oh. and then she hears, is that? And so, so she's plucking the chicken more and she's making the meat a little bit. Something. She's just freaking out a little bit. And all of a sudden it gets quiet in there. And so she cracks the door and she sees Mary sitting down. I mean, she's got sweat coming off her and she's freaking out. And there's her sister sitting down. So she, not that y'all would do this, but she goes back and she starts banging the pans around a little bit. Make sure that they can hear what's going on. But that doesn't do it. She hears Mary ask another question, maybe. And so she, she comes unglued. In verse 40, it says, but Martha was distracted. You know, she certainly was by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, notice that explanation point. She didn't say it that way. What'd she do? Now, she could have. She should have. Went to Mary first, right? Cracked the door. Psst, psst, Mary, Mary. She, she should have. But what'd she do? She kicks open the door. Ah! She's got everyone's attention now, right? She's got a mixing bowl maybe in this hand. She's got the spatula in this hand. And she's got the face pumping out of the neck. And a wisp of hair and flower on her face. She, she marches up to Jesus. And she says, Jesus! Don't you, for indictment of Jesus, don't you care? Ooh, come at Jesus. Don't you care? And, and, and she, she, she's, she recognizes, again, that she should have asked, maybe she should have asked Mary, but, but she keeps going. Do you think, you think I've got Hungry Man dinners in the freezer, right? Let's stick them in the microwave for you guys. You think this is, don't you know what's going on? Make her get in there now. 
And, and not, now, if you all have, hang with any type A's, you know that this kind of thing might happen from time to time. All the, all the, all the, the non-type A's are laughing right now. <laughs> and the type A's are going, yeah, well, she did what's right. That's the way she should handle it. So, 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 so let's, let's break for a second before we indict Martha too greatly. Because us non-type A's will do that. Um, but be honest. We need the Marthas, don't we? If you have someone coming over your house to do a, a job in your house and they're charging you by the hour, you don't want to marry. You don't want someone who's going to talk to you and talk to your children and talk about your thing. Forget that. I need someone who's going to focus on the job and get it done and get it done right. That's what I want. In the church, bottom line is, without Marthas, you know what? An awful lot of creative programming is just not going to happen. Without the Marthas in, in the church, an awful lot of the parachurch organizations will never be started. Missions organizations are just not going to happen. Heavy teaching just will not happen because it takes a Martha's personality to dig deep into it. An awful lot is not going to happen. We need the Marthas. Please don't write off the Marthas. It's all wrong. They were wired as they're wired by God. But there's an occupational hazard with being a Martha, isn't there? Uh, there are problems when you serve, but not out of the overflow. You become frustrated. Have you, have you been there? You, you, you become uh, bitter a little bit. Uh, when you serve not out of the overflow, it can be very, serving him is very difficult. A lot of pressure, a lot of... But if you don't serve out of the overflow, you just don't have the resources to handle it, and you can become very bitter. And when you are bitter... Now, Martha types, uh, task-driven folk... Uh, we know you're trying to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish for, for God. You're going to do the best, best and all those things. But when you get bitter, uh, suddenly nobody around and the people you're trying to serve are not, not encouraged. I mean, look, she ruined this time with Mary. Mary's having a great time at Jesus' feet. And seemingly, Jesus was enjoying the teaching opportunity. Was ruined. The disciples, can you imagine they're just hanging out, they're relaxing, everything's fine. And all of a sudden, Mary come, Martha comes in and kicks up this big scene. Well, now they're tense and they know that this is all going on because it's their fault. She's supposed to be serving them and she's telling them how hard it is to serve them. So they're 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 a mess. But but probably the the one who was ripped off the most here is Martha. Because this is amazing thing when you think about it. The son of God, Jesus, is about 10 yards from Martha. He's under the house and he's teaching. Now, what's he teaching Mary? Doesn't doesn't say we can just guess but he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's getting awful close to the cross. And we know that when Jesus was getting close to the cross, he became more uh, obsessed, if that's the right word to use, with, this, with his crucifixion. Is he sharing with Mary that he's going to die? Is he sharing with Mary that he's going to die for her sins? Is Mary the first one hearing the gospel from the very mouth of God? And could Martha have been a part of that? Maybe... Mary is being told that Jesus is telling her about heaven. Mary, it's going to be great. I was there. I'm telling you, you don't need coal and just listen to me. It's for real. It's a good thing. And Martha could have been a part of that conversation. But she, she wasn't. She was too busy serving. She was, she was working for the Lord, couldn't be with the Lord. Very significant. Martha does come and talk to Jesus, doesn't she? But she doesn't come to listen. She doesn't come to uh, ask questions and to hear and out of a heart of worship. She comes to tell him how he needs to rule his universe. 
She comes to make sure he understands that she's working hard and that other other people, they're just not working. She comes to make sure that Jesus realizes that she's the one who's serving properly. To, to, To serve, but not out of the overflow. It brings a critical spirit, doesn't it? How come I'm the only one that serves around this place? I'm giving everything I've got and these other people are not doing anything. Or you'll pinpoint other people. They're doing this. I'm the one that serves. And yeah, I'm not perfect. But, but at least my motivation is right. At least I'm discerning. I understand what the score is. These other people flood. If everyone could be like me. Martha's coming with an air of spiritual superiority here, isn't she? Now, I worked on this this week. In the kitchen, but not at his feet, equals service that is very unsweet. Not Elizabeth Barrett Browning, more like Dr. Seuss, I know. But, but, it's very true that when we serve, but we don't serve out of the overflow, uh, it's not sweet. Now, listen, this works on the church as a whole as well. That, that a church that serves, but is not at his feet, you know what's going to happen? Division, bitterness, backbiting, biting each other, devouring each other. And this, this summer, we're doing a series on the seven churches of Revelation. And it, it's amazing. You see, you see some of these churches working hard. They're faithful. They're doctrinally solid. But, but, but the love is, is gone. Their love for him is gone. I, very, very significant that we, we stop and realize that we're supposed to serve. We've been wired to serve. We've been gifted to serve. But we've got to do it out of the overflow. I think that the context here is, um, we'll get to that in a second. Jesus responds to Martha. I don't think Martha expected this kind of response. Obviously, if she, she wouldn't, wouldn't have expected it or she wouldn't have put herself out like that. Verse 41, it says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Okay, there's, there's two interpretations to this. First interpretation, traditional, you probably know it. Martha is worried about lots of things and gen- generically, just whatever. But there's really only one thing she should be worried about and that's spending time with Jesus. There's definitely validity here. And that's a true, that's a very true statement. But there's another Translation here, another interpretation that is equally valid linguistically and everything else. I think it works almost better with the context. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. What's Martha upset about? Is she upset about, you know, the character of the new high priest? Is she upset about the bill that's on Caesar's test that's going to affect the taxation in her area? Is she upset about the fishing on Lake Gelly? Probably not. It's already told us she's upset by all the preparations. Martha's discouraged because she's got potatoes and the green bean pass casserole and the, the chicken and the iced tea and the tea. And she's got all this stuff going on. She's discouraged. She's upset. She's worried about all the things. The seven course meal that she's got planned. And Jesus is saying, Martha, you've got a seven course meal planned. But we only need one thing. We don't need seven. Well, just a simple casserole would have worked, Martha. Now, if you're a Martha, you know how this goes. You start to plan it, and then you add and add and add. You're gonna by the time you're done planning this thing, it's gonna be the Taj Mahal. I mean, it's gonna be pieces moving. It's gonna be fantastic, best thing in the world. And so you go after it, and that is not a, that is not a bad thing, y'all. We're not talking here about being negligent or or being cutting corners. Sometimes we have to dig down deep and give the absolute best of everything we've got. No question about it. But we've got to be discerning. 
Because sometimes if doing that causes us to not spend time with him, if doing that brings about bitterness and anger and disunity, Jesus would say, simplify. You need to simplify. The, the, the context, again, real important. There's, there's two commands. Remember the, the, the context. Love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor. And then Jesus gives a story on what it means to love your neighbor, good Samaritan. But as his followers, sometimes we can get these confused, mixed up, turned around. And so he gives us the story of, of, of Martha and Mary. And he says, serve, love your neighbor, but you've got to make sure you love me first. Don't get these commands turned around. If you just try to serve and serve and serve and you're not spending time with me, then what's going to happen is bitterness and anger and disunity. And it's going to work against what it's supposed to do in you. So let me ask you. How are you doing with this? Elders, how are you doing with this? Folk who are on the search team, important job. Are you listening to him? You need to be. Sunday school teachers, uh, worship leaders, youth leaders. You're modeling a huge way there. You're teaching God's word, CLG leaders. Are you spending time first? Are you serving out of the overflow ushers? If you're not serving out of the overflow ushers, it's going to come across on your face to people who come to this, this place. People who count the money. Don't think that if you're in the nursery, you, you can serve outside the overflow. That's, that's going to end up being an incredibly bitter experience. How are you doing? And let me ask you, let me ask you, Marthas, among us, a couple of comments for you. Please know that Jesus is going to rebuke Martha here. But he starts with ter- terms of endearment. He says, Martha, Martha. That, that is, is a, a sign that he loves. He knows who you are, Martha. He knows how he's wired you. But please, please know his love is not dependent on how you respond or don't respond. How you do it or don't do it. His love is not dependent on how big the thing is that you produce and how, how, or how small it is. He loves you who you are. He's wired you for who you are. He's done it because we need you in the church. However, in this way, he says, Martha, you need to follow your kid sister in this. Now, if you're a Martha, oh, my goodness, this is a hard thing to do. Follow your kid sister. What? You know, if you're a Martha, you're saying for crying out loud, shouldn't have yelled at her. How about a message on negligence? And how about one getting in there and helping people and serving? Different text, different sermon. But don't miss the message that Jesus has for you here. And that message is you need to serve, but you've got to serve out of the overflow. It's the only service that's acceptable to me. It's the only service that's actually going to be. Now, can you imagine a church? Just think for a second. Can you imagine a church where everyone who's ser- everyone's serving? They're, they're in the place, they're, they're, they're zoned, the gifting, the gifting that God has given them. But they're all serving out of an overflow of being with him. Oh, man. Oh, now there's a lot of discussion on attractional churches today. But that alone, that love would be so attractional. We'd have folk coming out of the, out of the woods to get here. We need to serve. And you, if you're following him, you were wired to do that. But you have to serve out of the overflow. If, in fact, your services right now where you're sitting is bitter, is you're angry about it, you're upset about it, you've got a bad taste in your mouth about it, I would suggest... That you're not serving out of the overflow. Either you need to simplify and get back at his feet. Or maybe you need to pull out for a little bit and just regenerate yourself spiritually. 
and then get back back in. We need to serve when you serve out of the overflow. That's where he's honored.